when you go to a doctor, you don't walk into their office and the doctor says, okay, here's the treatments I'm going to do for you because you're not feeling well. What are they going to do? They're going to ask you a lot of questions to diagnose the specific problem. Why? So they know what to treat. They can treat you effectively instead of spending months just throwing all these things at you that may hurt more than help. Well, the same thing is true with dog aggression. We have to treat the specific type of aggression, and there really are seven major types. We've got to know what kind it is so we know how to treat it. And I see so many people that go down these long roads with lots of dog trainers and all kinds of good intentions, never really treating what the real problem is. In today's episode, we're going to talk about the seven major types of dog aggression. Hi, I'm Scott Schaefer, and you're listening to the Dog Aggression Answers Podcast. I've worked with thousands of aggressive dogs and their owners, and I'm certified by two international certifying organizations in dog behavior. In this podcast series, I'll explain why your dog is acting aggressively and provide recognized science-based answers, things you can do to make things better. Understanding and addressing your dog's aggression will make living with your dog better, and let's not forget, improve your dog's life too. I had a client come to me last year, I think around November or something like that, with a dog named Bella. By the way, that's her real name. I don't think dogs can sue me for that, can they? So Bella, yeah, that's that's the dog's real name. And the owner came to me and said that the dog had been biting the family members. And they were really kind of upset. And this was their first dog. And so they were really confused. And I see a lot of this, first-time dog owners, especially with COVID, who come to me just really stressed out about seeing their dog act aggressively to people outside the family, their own family, and all these different contexts. These people have been to numerous dog trainers. They had read everything they could on the internet, and things just weren't getting better. In fact, things were getting worse. And as we go along in future episodes, I'll explain why dog aggression almost always gets worse. There's lots of reasons. It's pretty interesting. Well, we talked about Bella, and we were able to identify what kind of aggression she had. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. Let's go ahead and start talking about the types of aggression, the seven types. Let's start with number one. The first kind of aggression I'd like to talk about when it comes to dogs is just a general fear aggression. And this is when the dog takes an offensive posture against some trigger, typically dogs or humans, although it can be vacuum cleaners, skateboards, cars driving by, and a million different things. I've had dogs have fear issues with houseplants. I'm not making that up, sitting there barking at houseplants, but we could go down a long road here of all the possible triggers. It sounds funny, I know, but when it's your dog, it's not really that funny, and I find that true with a lot of the, with a lot of the dog behaviors. Primarily, the triggers are going to be humans and dogs, and the reason the dog is doing these behaviors, this aggression, and we're really making a really big point right here, is that the dog is a afraid of these triggers and wants them to go away. It's called a distance increasing behavior. I want more distance between 
you and me, says the dog. And that distance is called a threshold distance. More on that in upcoming episodes. However, as part of distance increasing behavior, some dogs may want to move further away from the scary thing, dog, human, vacuum cleaner, you name it, to get away, to create distance. And those are called avoidance behaviors. But can you see in each case, they're creating more distance. In one, the dog is taking offensive defense to move the scary thing away or in an attempt to move the scary thing away. And the other one, the dog is moving away to create more distance. Some dogs pick one or the other. Most dogs favor one or the other, and some dogs do both. I found about 90 to 95% of dogs use aggression to keep things away, and about 5 to 10% will try to move away. And that's just kind of a general rule of thumb. So that's just a general fear aggression, and that's what I see in most cases. Let's go on to the second type, territorial aggression, also called territorial fear aggression, also called junkyard dog. There's a whole lot of words and terms to describe this. I just gave you the most popular, and this is a human-directed aggression. And it's primarily triggered by the dog's territory. This is an interesting type of aggression. And I'm going to tell you, in my dog bite legal consulting that I do, and I'm acting as an expert witness, this is the one that's primarily the issue. It's territorial aggression. And how does that manifest? Typically, someone comes in your home and the dog is not happy about it and gets very aggressive. And the dog wants that person to either get the heck out or they're going to keep their eyes on this guy the whole time or gal, guy or gal. And there's several reasons why dogs do this. And the first is we know that the dog is afraid of the visitor. That's the whole problem. I want them to leave. I don't want you here. And the first reason is this is my safe place, says the dog. This is where I'm with my peeps, and I'm super happy here, and I don't need you coming in because I don't know you. By the way, one thing that's so important in all these human aggression type of cases is who is the dog afraid of? Who decides who that is? The dog does. We have no say. It could be your best friend. It's your dog that has all the say as to who they are afraid of. The second reason that dogs have territorial aggression is the sudden appearance typically at the front door. When your dog is outside and has aggression issues, well, at least they get to see the person coming up, walking down the street kind of thing. But when it comes to the front door, boom, here they are. They walk in. The dog has no prep time except maybe a door knock or a doorbell, which is a whole other story. And when we talk about territorial aggression, we'll get into that and the doorbell and the knocking and all those kinds of things called a conditioned stimulus. The third reason has to do with the distance thing I talked about earlier, the threshold distance, also called flight distance. When someone comes into the dog's home, they have nowhere to go. And I don't care if you're living in a 500 square foot Manhattan apartment or a 50,000 square foot mansion in Beverly Hills. The dog knows that ultimately they can't get away from this scary thing. So what do they do? They up the aggression. Another thing I want you to know is not only does the dog define who scares them, they also define what their territory is. They define the territory. 
And it's almost always the inside of the owner's home. It commonly and usually extends to the back lawn, not uncommonly goes out to the front lawn and can even extend beyond that. And we typically see marking a lot out on walks with dogs like this. And so marking would be doing what? Marking their territory. This isn't always an indicator that a dog has territorial aggression or that they're extending their territory, but it's not uncommon. The intensity of this kind of aggression can be significant. Like I said, I see this a lot in dog bite cases. This is a can be a really, really nasty thing. It really can be. All right. Let's talk about the third type of aggression, of the seven types of aggression, common seven types. And it's called idiopathic aggression. It's sometimes called sudden onset idiopathic aggression. And this one's kind of scary. I got to be honest with you. It's an unpredictable type of aggression, usually with neurological reasons. In other words, it has physical reasons, not so much behavioral, although behavioral become a part of it. And the common literature thinks it's because of partial seizures. So the dog is actually having a seizure in the brain and it's causing these kinds of behavior, which is significant aggression. And let's talk about the word idiopathic. Idiopathic in medicine means unknown, don't know why. So out of nowhere, the dog acts very aggressively. Lots of times, the cases that I see really go after the owner and can cause significant damage. One of the things that we see in this kind of aggression is after the episode is over or you know, possibly caused by partial seizure, the dog is very tired and is, appears to be sad. It's not really sad, but it's just kind of exhausted and doesn't understand what everyone's looking at like that. So it's really a scary thing. We definitely have to get veterinary help on this as anti-seizure medications can help with this. Well, I could talk a long time about this one. This one can really be dangerous. I do see it in certain breeds more than others, which lets me think that it really does have a physical aspect to it. Treatment options are limited, and we might talk about this in a future episode. I see so few of these kinds of cases. A lot of time they're referred to me by veterinarians who have their suspicions, and I can do rule outs and we go through a bunch with the client and rule out the common causes of aggression, and we can frequently come down to this one. One of the interesting things, the diagnostic things that I use to try to tease this out, if this is the type of aggression, is before the dog bites somebody, and it's typically the owner, this happens at the owner's homes, the dog kind of gets this far-off glaze in its eye or gaze and it gets stiff and very still and just kind of looks through the owner's eyes. But when the owners describe this, it's kind of creepy. And then they just suddenly get very violent and then it's over. And like I said, the dog is very, very tired and appears to be sad, although that's not really what it is and doesn't understand why everyone's looking at it. Really dangerous, really hard to treat. And there's a lot of reasons why that's hard to treat, but we can talk about that in another episode. All right. Well, the next one is prey aggression. Prey aggression is common to canids. And when I speak of canids, I'm talking about foxes, wolves, coyotes, and our pet dogs. They all are predators and they're carnivores and they like eating other animals, whether you like it or not. And 
some people, including myself, I don't even really classify this as aggression. I guess the way I look at it is like your McDonald's Big Mac. Just because I eat my Big Mac doesn't mean I'm mad at it or afraid of it. And that's how our dogs are with rabbits and squirrels that they see in the front lawn. They're not afraid of these things. They just want to go have them for lunch. And here's what's interesting about aggression, prey aggression, in our pet dogs. And that is the predatory sequence. So in wild canids, again, wolves, coyotes, foxes, etc., they have a prey sequence, and that is a multi-step. And those steps quickly are they orient toward the prey animal. They make an eye or line of sight connection. They stalk quietly. They chase. They grab it, bite it. They'll kill it through biting. They'll dissect it, and then they'll consume. Well, this predatory sequence in domesticated dogs is really interrupted and corrupted. It's very interesting for me to see dogs look at possums and squirrels and rabbits and see what they do with them because some of them hark back to their old fox, wolf, coyote days, which is where we think dogs came from, and they'll get very quiet around these prey animals because they want to get them. They don't want to be known. They're not trying to scare them off. They're doing a distance-decreasing behavior But we see our pet dogs do a corrupted type of predatory sequence. And that can be things like they'll get a squirrel in the back lawn and they'll parade it around the back lawn and bring it to your doorstep. They don't really ever consume it. Or they'll bark wildly at a rabbit or a squirrel and make all kinds of gestures. So these are vestiges of the predatory sequence, but through domestication, they've been messed up. So the kind of prey aggression that you see in your pet dog is not at all what it originally had back when it was in its candid roots. So that's prey aggression. Not really a lot we can do about that. We can desensitize and counter condition, but we can talk about that in another episode. The fifth type of aggression I want to talk about is called intra-household aggression. It's also called sibling rivalry. And it is what it sounds like. It's when two or more dogs in the same household are fighting. So these dogs might have zero problems with other dogs in all other contexts, but they don't get along with their housemates. And we call this sibling rivalry for a reason as as an an alternative name to intra-household aggression because it's just like with people. You put two people in the same house, and let's say siblings, when you're small and you had, if you had a brother or a sister, you would just fight and do things with them that you wouldn't do with other people. Well, with dogs, it's really kind of the same thing. And it has to be chronic and ongoing for a long period of time for us to call it intra-household aggression, because all dogs, just like with people that live together, are going to have some spats. I call them little dust-ups. So if it's the occasional, every few month kind of dust up with the two dogs in the household that are living together. No one's going to the vet. I'm not that particularly concerned about that. It's when it's once or twice or more a week and some are going to the vet. Now we have a a bigger problem. The probability of in-home aggression, I think this is so interesting, increases exponentially as the number of dogs increase. Well, think about this for a second. If we have two dogs, there's one unique relationship that has to work. 
If we have three dogs, there's three unique relationships that have to work. If we have four dogs, we have six unique relationships that have to work. So the chance of intra-household aggression goes up dramatically around the three or four mark and just goes out of control after that. Many, if not most of my intra-household aggression cases are with multiple dogs. And so I really like to tell people, don't get that third dog or be, be careful about getting that third dog because you can cause some issues to happen. The next one is control-related aggression, the sixth of our seven most common types of aggression. Control-related aggression is, to me, by far, maybe one of the most interesting. And we've seen a lot of this during COVID for a host of reasons. And I see it a lot with first-time dog owners. Do you remember Bella that we talked about at the beginning of this episode was biting her owners and the owners were very concerned? Well, after talking with the clients and examining Bella a little bit, it was obvious that this was a case of control-related aggression. And what control-related aggression is, the way that it presents, the dog is biting or acting aggressively toward the owners. And this kind of aggression, by the way, can get really serious and spiral out of control. It it's also goes by conflict aggression or dominance aggression or owner-directed aggression. But control-related aggression is by far the, the best name for it because it's pretty accurate. And the way that I like to explain this to clients all the time, it's like the little four-year-old boy that is spoiled rotten and is running crazy through the house. His parents are scared to death of him. He's screaming and yelling to get his way, and the parents don't know what to do, and it's just spiraling out of control. Well, that's really analogous to what's happening with control-related aggression, which says the dog has learned to get its way to use aggression. Now, this is not a bad dog. This is not a dog that's trying to take over your house. The owners have just inadvertently trained the dog to do this. The dog has learned that if it doesn't like something, it shows a little bit of aggression that the owners back up and back off. And so that's then reinforced and the, con- and the behavior continues. The great news about this kind of aggression is that it's very treatable. In fact, I think the prognosis is really good on this. And another concern that I have with this, even talking about it, is a lot of people immediately default to, well, I need to be dominant over my dog to keep this from happening. That is exactly the opposite. A common mistake that is made with many dog owners and dog trainers is to meet aggression with aggression. And that is not the way to go. And the dogs tend to escalate their behaviors more. There's a lot of great ways to handle this, but firing back aggression to the dog is not one of them. This one, by the way, is actually fairly fairly preventable too. This is why I see it a lot of times in first-time dog owners. All right. So Bella got better. We treated her and things really turned out pretty well in that case. The seventh and final type of aggression I want to talk to you about is called resource guarding aggression, also called possession aggression. I think most people are fairly familiar with this that have owned dogs. And that's simply when you get near something the dog doesn't want to share, that it becomes aggressive to keep you away. Common examples would be near the food bowl, near bones or treats or toys. But they can also do this behavior with their owners 
And that's called resource guarding the owner. In other words, they're not protecting the owner. They're just saying, hey, I like how mama is scratching my head and giving me treats and letting me cuddle on her lap. I don't want you, dad, getting near her while this is going on. So I'm going to act aggressively. A lot of improper treatment has been done to dogs because they didn't understand that that behavior is what was going on. One last comment on resource guarding or possession aggression is that a lot of people feel like it's not really a fear-based aggression, which most are. But I think you could easily argue that the dog is afraid of what? Losing the thing that it's guarding. I'm afraid of losing this food. I'm afraid of losing this toy. So I think it still pretty easily falls into the category of a fear-based aggression. Your assignment then, until our next episode, is to start thinking about your dog's aggression. What kind of aggression is it? Which one of these seven might it fit into? I want to give you one cautionary note, though. If your dog is human aggressive, especially if it's biting people and dangerous, always make sure you call in a certified dog behavior consultant to help you with that. So I'm in no way suggesting that if your dog is really dangerous that you should take this on yourself. So always call in a professional if you need that help. When it comes to discerning what type of aggression or what category your dog might be fitting into, just think about this for a second. All of these types of aggression are interrelated to some extent. None of them operates on their own. So while we have these categories, and some people may even have more than seven categories, they're all interrelated to some extent, which is kind of interesting. In upcoming episodes, we'll discuss treatment ideas and how you might proceed with your dog's aggression. Thank you for joining me today. Before you go, please subscribe if you haven't already. If not for yourself, do it for your dog. If you find these episodes helpful, please leave a review. I'll see you next time as we continue your journey of addressing your dog's aggression. Now go hug your dog.